Here's Middleton. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh! Run. Two on one. Green the finish. Wow, the alley Turn the corner. Inside! He made Yusuf Nurkic a screensaver. Here comes Murray. Alley up to Gordon. Oh, what a play! Joined now by my guy, Brendan Vogt from DNVR Sports. Brendan, thank you so much for tuning in, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, let's talk about Denver. Let's talk about our, our home team, the uh, the Denver Nuggets. It's an interesting start to the season for them. Not necessarily good, not necessarily bad, but certainly not really expected. 16-9 um, and nine record to start the year. It's just Maybe we should start with that. Like, Is this about kind of where you felt that they would be? I think there was some initial hope that they could hit the ground running and play the way they played coming out of June. And they kind of did before Jamal went down. And I think all of that created an opportunity for a little bit of letdown and disappointment from a fan perspective. Jamal misses some games. You know, they lose the Houston game at home. They don't look great on the road. And it's a little bit of, hey, we want to see these guys at their very best every night. But when you really break down the schedule, the five and sevens they've had, the back-to-backs, the competitive road teams they've played, and of course, no Jamal, 16-9 and nine is actually pretty good. I think it bodes well as far as you know where they could go from here. But coming off the title, I think Nuggets fans expected maybe their own version of that Warriors team that ultimately lost, but barely lost a game along the way. And it hasn't quite worked out like that. Yeah, it is interesting. We... we- talked about this uh, when we first chatted before the season began and I remember the win projections that we kind of went into and I think had they stayed healthy had Jamal stayed healthy for this early portion of the season then they might be even pushing past some of those win projections right. that we talked about but uh, it still feels like they are uh, at least tethered to being a good team not necessarily even a great team right now uh, they've got the 10th best net rating in the NBA according to cleaning the glass uh, 10th in offense, 12th in defense. The defense number is pretty good, uh, at least for a Nuggets team that usually is about average in defense. Um, But 10th in offense feels a little bit kind of like a regression. Just where do you think that's come from? Are you you worried about it being only 10th? Not too worried right now. If it was the end of the year, I would say, man, that season didn't go well. Just looking at that stat alone. For now, I think you can at least, some will call these excuses. I'll call them explanations. I think missing Jamal Murray really matters. I think the grade three sprain that Porter allegedly played through to start the year, that's a pretty significant injury. I think that played a pretty large role in him. Not He provides that kind of final layer of eliteness to their offense, and he hasn't always brought that better lately. But you know, in Jamal's absence, it wasn't enough. And you combine that with some of the way Yoke's played lately in the ejection, and you can see it. You can see it. And it's it's hard to remember now, but around this time last year, we had plenty of questions. More of them were on the defensive side of the ball, but they had yet to evolve into a true contender, I think, around this time. And there was some angst in Denver. So there's there's plenty of season left. It just, uh, you know, it hasn't clicked on all, on all cylinders so far. And like, uh- Given that I'm I'm kind of boots on the ground with Denver too, like I've I've done a little bit of digging on this. The the start of the schedule for them has been really really difficult. They've played the most back to backs in the NBA. They've had a pretty tough schedule. It's about to get a lot easier by the looks yes. of things. And 
Uh, the hope is that that kind of coincides with a run and Denver might get into a rhythm at that point. And then that, that offensive number might look a little bit different. Um, but you mentioned Jamal Murray's absence. It does seem like, hey, he's, he's only played, I think, what, 11 games so far this year out of 25. Uh, that, I, I think, given the way that he played in the playoffs last year, that has to be affecting it in, in some way. Just what does he do and, and how has Denver kind of replaced him in those games that he hasn't played? <coughs> Excuse me, Ryan. <clears throat> Oh, a lot good. of people think of the scoring with Jamal right away. In Denver, we've been really impressed with his playmaking and the corners he's turned in that regard really over the years, but particularly in the playoffs last year, especially in the finals. And I thought he brought a lot of that to start the year. Denver doesn't have a lot of ball handling. They don't have point guards on this roster. The KCP trade, which was a grand slam, you do it 100 out of 100 times, they did give up ball handling. That's what they lost in that trade. Monte and Will, guys who could run a pick and roll. You know, they don't have a ton of it. Thank goodness for Edgy Jackson, a much maligned signing. I don't know where they'd be without him. But Murray's pop, the two-man game with Jokic, but also just generally just his playmaking threat and, and helping other guys find find good looks is something they're really missing right now. And the rotation, the way the way it's affected the bench rotation as well as has been well documented. Yeah, Julian Strother, nice young rookie for Denver. He has really helped kind of establish that and uh, has done some good things off the bench for this Nuggets team. And like we talked about uh, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, some of these other answers that Denver has had to that question of how do you actually replace some of these guys? And it, it has been hit or miss, I think, to to the beginning portion, but uh, it still seems like Denver is is working through some of these struggles in a really in a in a positive way that should be building towards the end of the season. I think. Yes, and again, man, much like last season, the rotation as far as getting up to ten guys was a mess, and the conf- people didn't have a ton of confidence in it. And by the playoffs, it was seven and a half guys. Really, you trusted Bruce Christian, and then. Jeff, I think a little bit by default with the size, but also just as a veteran, you could trust to limit the mistakes. And while Bruce and Reggie are very different players, I think thus far they've largely replaced that sixth man aspect with Reggie Jackson. He's been phenomenal. You know, one of those guys, a defender, energy guy, the other more of a bailout bucket getter. But in truth, I think Reggie has provided just as much so far off the bench. And if you had to say to yourself, is there a guy who could give you know, 16 to 20 points off the bench to swing a home game in the playoffs. Reggie's the obvious answer. So they'll miss Bruce, but they still have Christian. They have Reggie. It's kind of that seven and a half, you know, eight spot. I think a lot of people were hopeful it would be Zeke Naji. That's not the case so far. But I, I think for the most part, as the season goes on, like this stuff will take care of itself. They'll get back to that rotation they trust. I think finding that eighth guy right now is a little hard, but other than that, you know, they're, they're on schedule for the most part. A couple more things here. Uh, Nikola Jokic just got ejected again. Yes. And it seems odd the way that this has kind of played out. Just obviously, you, I, I'm a little bit partisan in this conversation, and I, I have seen him kind of be frustrated with some of the ways that he's been refed over the course of these years, and uh, referees seem to not be giving him the benefit of the doubts. What's going on with the Denver Nuggets and officiating lately? Is this a storyline? Is this just an early season thing? Like it feels like it's a little bit more than that. 
It seems like a storyline, particularly Jokic's relationship with refereeing, which we've watched evolve over the years. And to me, there is, and I shouldn't speak for him, I'm just watching. You know, we get to talk to him, but a lot of it, you're just putting it together from your perspective. But a lot of it is, is I, it seemingly, hey, we just won. They went 16 and four. I've got back-to-back MVPs and a finals MVP. Are we really still doing this? Do I have to start falling over? Do I have to, by the way, there was a night where he fell over a couple of times from three. I think it was last week and he was getting calls, you know, um, from three and from distance with his jumper. I don't want that as a fan. I don't want to see him start falling everywhere. I would like to see some of these fouls called. It's tough though, because as much as Jokic may have a point, I think he and LeBron James are probably the least fairly refereed stars in terms of just contact, not being called. Um, sure. As much as is as rough in the past, part of him, his evolution into like the best player in the world was not letting that stuff get to him. And right now, I think it's clearly a part of his focus. There are some people who believe that's totally fair, and I get that. Uh, whether or not it's fair, it is. I think what's going on, and it's an, it's been a weird subplot to start the year. It's odd. Like it just it does feel like if he is the face of the NBA or something close to it at this point with like two time MVP, Finals MVP, clearly the best player in the world right now. Uh, there has been a weird kind of reticence to whether it's nationally accepting that or if it's just on the court. Uh, I I have no idea what it is, frankly. I, I'm not I'm not in a great position where I can really answer that question, and that's just. It's very fascinating to think about, like, is, is this going to be something that continues for the rest of his career? Or is this just something like, maybe it's the, the Shaq rules with him where, hey, he's too dominant. He's too dominant. We have to kind of adjust our expectations for that. I'm not really sure. Yeah, but he seems to have worked himself into this almost boogie kind of space where I think a handful of officials preemptively expect him to give them grief. And don't mm. respond well to his grief, and it seems a little cyclical. Um, this is we're particularly reactive to it right now because last night it's fresh in our minds. It's something that hopefully across eighty two we don't talk about too much. And I don't love talking about refereeing a ton, but I do think you can see a noticeable difference between the way Jokic is officiated and some other stars, particularly the guards who flail and the bigs who fall. Um, and it's frustrating and it's gotten to him for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, and he's, he's clearly the only guy who's ever used a bad word before. So we can, uh, we can obviously, uh, just, just move right on past that. I think, um, what do you think? Like, so this is the storyline through these first six weeks, whether it's Murray being down, whether it's Jokic getting into trouble with the referees, what do you think the storyline is going to be in the next six weeks between the times when we actually speak? I'll stick with my theme of let's look at last year. I think this is right around the time when Denver turns in from evolves from a team that's finding ways to win some games to, oh yeah, that's in the inner circle of contenders. That's why everyone talks about them the way that we have at the time. Most people do now. They're going to turn into a buzzsaw, a well-oiled machine, I think. And, you know, as Murray works his way back with the Think the schedule lightening up in theory on paper. This is a good time for Denver to seize the reins, particularly these home games, which is where they can turn a corner in the standings. And I think we'll see it. I mean, they're 
they're too good not to. There are too many plausible explanations for the barriers between them and dominance so far. I don't think they they just forgot how to do what they did when they went 16 and four. So I expect to see them round into form, man. We will see what happens. I'm, I'm excited for it. This is going to be an interesting run for the defending champions and whether they could really get back to that level because you use the word buzzsaw there. That's how they were from December to like March 3rd last year. So if they can get back to that, then I think a lot of people will be, uh, they will they will understand what it means to have to go through the defending champions again because, like you said, I think Denver's going to turn into a pretty strong team. Uh, but he is Brendan Vote of DNVR Sports. Everybody, make sure to go follow his work uh, and follow him on all social media platforms if you if you do so. Uh, Brendan, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Let's talk in six weeks. All right. Anytime, Ryan. Anytime. All right, joined now by Dane Moore of the Dane Moore NBA podcast, covering the Minnesota Timberwolves for us here at the Alley Oop. Thank you so much for joining me now, Dane. Uh, this has been an incredible run so far for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Just what stands out so far for a team that's now 17 and 5 somehow? Yeah, just that it's like way easier. <laughs> it's like way easier <laughs> to cover. Uh, I mean, you, you've experienced that, right? With Denver, yeah. where it kind of shifts from your like more futuristic thinking in like of okay what what is here on this team that will be on the next version of the really good version of this team you know that's been so much of my career covering the Timberwolves is what here can sustain and grow and now it's shifting into this what do they have now right and how good can this be now um what can get marginally better now what has potential for for regression and it's a fun different sort of task i think in in covering the team or for the fans who are watching the team um as again i'm sure you guys kind of experienced with denver when the the goal or the objective kind of uh, evolves based on the the quality of the team yeah and you start to see it pretty early right where you you get into this portion of the season and a lot of it is about familiarizing yourself with what the group is going to be like and because we talked about the expectations for this group as, hey, uh, they mm-hmm. could upset somebody in the first round. They could make a playoff series. Like they could, they could win a playoff series. They could be a playoff team, things like that. We're not past that. Like that, that conversation, it seems, at least at this stage, is kind of over. Like I know that the West has been a little bit down initially, but the, the T-Wolves have earned their spot at the top of the West so far. Fourth best point differential, 16th on offense, but first by a a long margin on defense in a lot of ways. Uh, is this like just a little bit more of what you expected from the group or like just, just a little bit better or where, where are some of the areas that you think you like hit on with this group and where are some of them you think that you missed on your initial evaluation? Yeah, I think the, where I missed on the evaluation ones is probably the more interesting, right? Cause it's what's happened that we didn't expect. And, and the main thing there is, the defense being elite, elite, and the impact Rudy directly has on that. Um, it's an interesting experience covering Rudy and watching him every single day in comparison to you know what we do when we watch other teams that we don't directly cover, where you're seeing them here and there, right? You may be catching 10 games over the course of the season or something like that. <clears throat> and to appreciate Rudy Gobert is to watch him every day and, and understand what he does consistently and how he changes 
the ways in which an opponent wants to play against you. Um, the the frequency of the shots just not even being attempted by opponents at the rim has really popped this year. That's a major difference uh, from last season when Rudy didn't have that same level of rim deterrence. And just seeing that day-to-day and understanding that that level of defense even exists for him or for this team, it totally changes your perspective on on a team that is, like you said, 16th in offense. They're a mediocre offensive team that probably can get a little bit better than that. Sure. But I don't think this is, you know, ever going to be a top seven eight offensive team they kind of need this defense i feel like to be able to navigate some of their offensive shortcomings or some of the asymmetries in their roster construction that hold back um the the offense a little bit so i miss the defense and and specifically what rudy could do in that and how others around him are really empowering him uh or just they're selling out on the perimeter man and it is it's hectic and difficult to get clean shots off against this team, not just at the rim, but on the perimeter too, because they're just like dial it up and run these guys off the line, rear view contest, whatever, send them to Rudy. And they very much bought into that. And the, the pursuit of when they're playing defense is, is really pretty incredible because it forces the other team to take difficult shots, scramble a little bit offensively, only with the end result of getting to the rim where Rudy is for 35 minutes a night. It's uh, it's fun to cover a really good defensive team because you're watching these things and you're seeing them night and night uh, sustain. It's been, it's been fun, but I definitely miss that. Maybe I shouldn't have. They were eighth in defense last year. We probably should have assumed maybe it was going to get a little bit better, but I don't know. Number one, <laughs> I wasn't expecting, I, wasn't expecting I mean, that. There is a level of, I guess, seriousness that comes with that, where you saw the team get a taste of it last year. And what really kind of changes when you get the first taste of that action and and you want to improve upon it, you see what you've done well, but then you can see those little margins that you can improve. And it just feels like they've they've tightened up on a lot of those margins. Anthony Edwards has become a better defender. Carl Anthony Towns has become a better defender. Mike Conley is in there more consistently than a, a D'Angelo Russell was for half of the year last year. And you could yep. start to see the impact, even though Mike isn't like an elite defender anymore. He's, he's still somebody who's functional within that. And then like the Jada McDaniels is like, he's been out for a little bit here, but Nikhil Alexander Walker's awesome. Kyle Anderson is smart. Nas Reed is awesome. Like these guys are just really, really great pieces. And uh, I mean, it all surrounds what I think is the defensive player of the year. And that's mm-hmm. a completely, understandable take at this point where you've got a team that's number one in defense and he is like he is a proof of concept on how that works you mentioned him being like like seeing that from afar and not necessarily seeing it up close all the time like we we saw it we were in the same division as the utah jazz for eight nine ten years that that he was over there and now you see him up close and I, i can understand how the perspective can change and but like i mean <laughs> denver denver not well, super, last year was bad not, yeah. last year he wasn't doing this like that that's what it is too so it's like you didn't live the utah experience day to day and you weren't seeing it day to day and then he comes here and it's just good you know so you didn't even understand what the ceiling i would have needed to have been watching utah 
you know, the majority of their games in 2021 or whatever to have been able to be like, oh, yeah, this maybe can be copy and pasted onto it. I would have been skeptical that it could have been, you know, he's in his 30s now that that even could exist, but it can exist. It is happening. It's happened for the first quarter of the season where he's been legitimately great in probably 18, 19 of the 22 games. And that's, that's an interesting thing too, where it's like how many, even the best offensive players, right. In, in the league, how many games are they great offensively for? It's not 90% of the games. And that's a unique thing to Rudy. You know what I'm saying? Like you can be great defensively 90% of the games. If you're a great defensive player, I don't know, like, what percentage of the games can you be great if you're the best offensive player in the league? 80? 75? There's, like, there's a yeah. difference there. And I, I'm growing in appreciation for that and the consistency of Rudy, too. And so, yeah, like, I don't know who, like, is it Anthony Davis? Who are the other cases for defensive player of the year right now? Oh, I, I, I don't even have any. Like, I, I think that it's Rudy at this point, And he has raised the floor to such a level for this team for where it was mm-hmm. last year, where things were not in a great place whether it's and a lot of that had to do with the offense for sure but Mm -hmm. uh it does it just does feel like he has provided some stability for the group in a lot of different ways and like there's there's very few players in the nba that can even compare to that so he gets a ton of credit from me uh can i ask you a question sure I'm, i'm i'm curious i'm just thinking about this right now and i think denver experienced the other side of this for the past three, four years or whatever. Um, Like you said, Wolves are average, slightly below average offensive team. And uh, so are the Orlando Magic and the Houston Rockets. And they're the second and third best defensive teams in the league right now. And I'm starting to think about this, you know, dichotomy, right? Of being elite on one side of the floor and average on the other and trying to be able to make that work to be one of the very best teams in the league. Like average and number one is, is good. But I think in Minnesota, we've now started shifting our perspective into, can this be a good team into now? Can it be a great team? And, and I think the question is, can you be average on one side of the ball and elite on the other and still be a great team? Denver is a good example of that in the inverse in, in recent seasons. How did you approach that at the time? And were you skeptical? Did you believe the elite offense could carry them through? And are those even apples to apples comparisons? No, with, it's, with one uh, being offense versus defense. You know uh, what I'm saying? Of course. No, I think I think it's a very fair comparison, if if only the inverse of it. And like, mm-hmm. from from Denver's perspective, there were there were a couple of indicators that they could be a strong defensive team when they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but playing defense throughout the regular season is hard. And it's why I have respect for teams like Minnesota and Houston and Orlando and teams like that yeah. that have made that their identity and turned it in into something special. Yeah. I think on the offensive end, like, and, and maybe this is for, for Minnesota, they have to be able to solve problems on the offensive end. And yeah. when defense, like when, when defenses kind of figure out how to funnel Anthony Edwards into their help, how to help off of Rudy Gobert in ways where he doesn't just get lobs at the rim, where if they're getting up and getting physical into Carl Anthony Towns with a guy that can guard him like an Aaron Gordon briefly last year in the playoffs. So there are things that Minnesota, I think, is still going to have to answer on the offensive end, much in the way that Denver had to answer on the defensive end. How do you keep Jokic out of the pick and roll and out of like space Mm. a lot of the time? 
How do you make those passes more difficult around him? Uh, What are the ways that you can force tougher shots rather than just give up the easy ones? Denver had to go through all those steps last year. And when they were in the clutch specifically, they were really good defensively. Hmm. And I don't like it's such a small sample size on the offense. I mean, again, in 22 games or whatever, it's it's kind of been that, too, which maybe gives Hmm. you a little more belief in the offense. Like if you're overall an average offensive team, but in the clutch, you can be relied upon to be a top 10, top five offensive team. I haven't looked it up recently, but when I did like a week ago, they were there. Um, I I think the Wolves could get that because in the clutch, Anthony Edwards is going to be on the floor and they are going to function at that level broadly when Anthony Edwards is on the floor. What I'm, and this is just because it's most recently on my mind. Um, Ant didn't play when the Wolves played the Pelicans uh, on Monday in their last game before recording this. And it was, so it was no Ant for 48 minutes. And now it's all, it's 48 minutes of Wolves offense with no Anthony Edwards. And that is what I think is contributing to this mediocrity of the offense as a whole. And, and no, it's only like on average, maybe 15 minutes a night. Again, this is kind of similar to the Jokic thing, right? Where it's like, can you survive offensively when your offensive fulcrum is off the floor? And I think people look mm. at the Wolves and they go, you got Cat, right? Play through him. He's an elite offensive player. The problem, again, that we saw in the Pelicans game was it was, they did the Aaron Gordon thing. They guarded Cat with Herb Jones and they brought doubles. And, and that has been for a while now difficult for Carl to solve. Not even just because of initially he had to get comfortable with that and he's still getting comfortable with it. But the issue in that game was they're bringing those doubles, Carl's passing out of them, but to who, you know, there's, there isn't shooting around. They're playing and they're playing a lot of lineups with like two, three non shooters out there. They're playing like sometimes Kyle Anderson, shake Milton and Rudy Gobert all on the floor. Like if that's out there and Carl's getting doubled in the post, like what are you really going to find? You know? Right. And so I'm a little at this, at the moment, a little hyper fixated on broadly. This team is mediocre offensively. Um, and that is a product of when Anthony Edwards isn't on the floor. I think they need to find improvements there to be able to overall improve the offense, but also in the playoffs, 10, 12 minutes a night, you're going to need to live without Anthony Edwards, too. And, and that's, that that's what I was going to say, though, is like the good thing about the playoffs is that that 15 minutes a night that you're supposed to survive without. I mean, it kind of just turns to six to 10 in a yeah, lot of true. ways. And mm-hmm. there are like, I mean, Jokic and one of the things that people struggle to appreciate about him is that he can play 40 minutes a night in the playoffs. No issue mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that is. And he'll, he'll, his 40th minute is going to be. 90% as good as his first minute. And that's that's a pretty yeah. strongly conditioned athlete. And I think Anthony Edwards, we talked about this a little bit about last year, didn't approach the conditioning as well at the beginning, mm-hmm. seems to have taken that very seriously and seems to be in a really good place where, hey, the, the heavy burden, the heavy minutes toll that's going to happen in the playoffs, he seems like he's ready for that and that he's graduated to that. So I, I tend to think- I think in the playoffs, think, yeah. I, I yeah. don't know, night to night in the regular season, like we'll see- Um, it's the, it's also the factor of how much defensive responsibility does Ant have when we're talking about that 40 minute. I think about, I'm thinking about difficult opponents right now in the playoffs. I'm like, okay, like Phoenix. So you want to play Ant for 40 minutes in that game, but he's also, he's 
guarding in those 40 minutes one of probably Beal, Durant, or Booker, you know? Right. And that becomes a tenuous defensive responsibility with a lot of, you know, offensive legwork to to do there as well. I'm obviously I'm nitpicking at a 17 and 5 team, but maybe this is indicative of where I'm at in my head with it is like I've graduated from like I think I said with you when we were doing predictions at the beginning of the season like fifth seed 47 wins. Like I'm I'm above that and I'm testing night to night like the feasibility of my belief that this is a second seed first seed maybe low to mid 50 wins team. You know, and yeah. the, the, these are the questions, the nitpicks that they have to answer to clear that bar, at least in my mind. No, that's that's a it's a fair step in the right direction for this group. Mm-hmm. And how, how fun is that? That you get to be able yeah. to even entertain that as a possibility. And right. like, I, I think that Minnesota is in a really good place. And it's it is very cool to see them be able to handle that. Just really quickly, we'll wrap up with the schedule here. The schedule has been kind to Minnesota at the initial outset mm-hmm. that you talk. You and I were talking briefly this next run that they're about to go on these next 16 games or so are going to be difficult. Just what are you looking for in that stretch? What are you looking for uh, from this group kind of improving their salt? I'm, I'm interested to see how they bounce back, right? Like they, like you said, starting with the Pelicans game on Monday, they have 16 straight games against teams that are currently 500 or better. 11 of those 16 games are on the road. And in that, at some point, they're probably going to lose two or three or four games in a row. They haven't done that this year. They haven't right. lost consecutive games even this year. And and that's an interesting test, I think, for a team that's already tasted success, right? What happens when that gets taken away? What is your ability uh, to bounce back and restabilize off of that? And they're missing Ant in the Pelicans game, but who knows? Maybe these next few games, they lose. Maybe they go like one and four in the next five games. Okay, whatever. You're still 18 and eight or whatever and really <laughs> you're, you're, in a, you're in a great spot but can you internalize that mentally and get back and go in the next five games and win three or four or five of them um I'm, I'm very curious to see that with this group also because the group's getting back to full strength you mentioned Jaden being out um what can he give this team they've been the number one defense Jaden McDaniels has played like a third of the minutes this season wild you know, and he's the second best defensive player on the team, one of the best perimeter defenders in the the entire NBA. So there's actually reason to believe they could be playing at a higher overall level over this next stretch of games, diff- more difficult opponents. But that's what this team needs right now. I I, I feel that they, they kind of just because they won 16 of 18 games that you you hit some of that natural coasting vibe. What happens when you get pu- punched? You know, when you're coasting. Do you get right. back up and, and be able to do that? And with a team that has not had a lot of regular season or sustained success, that's at least somewhat of a somewhat of a question. I believe so much more in the continuity and confidence and camaraderie of this group that I believe in their ability to one, probably not let a three or four game losing streak happen. But even if it does because they're in a different place, Rudy in particular is in such a different place mentally, it seems. I I struggle to picture this team sustaining an extended poor stretch, you know? And uh, that's, you know, I think that's a testament to Chris Finch. And yeah. getting this group to to enable that identity, right? That's not just defense, but professional and... They're just a team that they're not going to rest guys, man. They're going to like, 
it's why they're a good, I don't know if you can live bet season win total over unders. Like I'd take the Wolves over because they're not going to rest guys. Like they're going to go here. This is, this team is all in on this year. We've talked about it before, whole bunch of tax and roster sort of things. Like I know they were the eighth seed last year and got bounced by the Nuggets, but this is a team who views themselves as many levels above that and and should they should yeah the 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 circumstances indicate that rudy is still at his peak but won't be forever um you know the roster is going to change in the future probably have to so like let's go now and and i'm really impressed by that feels like the the ethos of this group so let's see what happens in this difficult stretch we will see what happens with them. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they respond to this tougher stretch. But he's Dane Moore of the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Thank you so much, Dane, for hopping on. Really appreciate you taking the time. Let's talk in six weeks, all right? Yes, sir, man. Thank you. All right. Joined by David Brandon, writing for Daily Thunder, covering the OKC Thunder here at the Alley-Oop. David, thank you so much for hopping on, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, let's chat about one of the best stories in the NBA so far. Uh, the team that is third in the NBA net rating, according to Cleaning the Glass, the OKC Thunder. Where do we even start on this team? This team has been unbelievable in in how they have sort of had this renaissance. It's It's gone a lot faster than I think a lot of people expected in terms of the rebuild. Uh, the team has thoroughly outperformed expectations so far because of what? I think the biggest thing this year is the emergence of Chet Holmgren. Holmgren... Uh, has been awesome this year. Like he's been playing at what I would call an all NBA level as a rookie. Wow. Which is, I mean, like he, I haven't looked in a minute, but he was having a 50, 40, 90 season. Um, and is putting up, I think like over a block and a steal per game. I know he's putting up over a block per game. I think he might be putting up two. I don't have those stats off the top of my head, but it's obscene. I've got the numbers here. I've got the numbers here for you. 17 points, 7.8 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 2.4 blocks. He's off pace on the steals at 0.9, but he's very close there. 52 from the field, 38 from three, 88 from the line. That's nuts. That's frankly ridiculous, and people should be afraid. Yeah. I'm like, I... (sighs) I expected him to be good. I don't think anyone expected him to be this good this fast. The rebounding's still an issue team-wide, but it hasn't been enough of an issue to pull him off pace so far. It's like, despite them getting absolutely brutalized on the glass in a lot of games, they're still, they're still killing it in so many other areas that it hasn't been an issue. And Holmgren's a big part of that because having him on the back line lets the guys be loose and comfortable on defense. Shea's playing the best defense of his career. I would argue that Shea's playing like all defense team level defense right now. He's been incredibly good on that. And Dort is obviously going to give you what he's going to give you on that end. Uh, You know, J-Dub is a great defender. Like it starts with the defense and on the offensive side, it starts with Shea uh, and then everybody else on the floor just being more efficient. Dort has been good this year, but not. Uh, he's kind of fallen off a little bit. He had a real hot start. I think some guys are going to come right. down to earth and some guys are going to pop. But generally speaking, it's Shea has been even better and Holmgren has uh, shored up the defense to a point where they don't have to worry about that end. 
yeah, just going through some of the numbers here is, is pretty nuts to think about. The team's on, on cleaning the glass, sixth on offense, sixth on defense. They are, like I said, third in the NBA net rating at plus 8.3, which would lead the NBA in some years. Like, I think it would have led it last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the, you mentioned the numbers for Shea. Some crazy stuff here. 2.8 steals per game. It's been a long time since we've ever really seen that before. And like that's like steals aren't everything, but he's also averaging 0.9 blocks and the team is sixth in defense and they're really feeding off of that perimeter contained. So like he, he's been unbelievable and shooting 55% from the field is disgusting yeah. as a perimeter player with where he takes his shots. That's like flat out ridiculous. He has, and, and I, I just did a show, uh, I think a week ago or so with, Matt Moore on MVP candidates. Jokic was leading at that point, but like he has fallen down in, in a lot of ways. And I think you could absolutely make an argument that Shea Gilgis Alexander has been the MVP of the league. He's definitely, I mean, MVP conversation, you know, as well as I do with the award conversations that a lot of that comes down to legacy too, or re or, or sure. like a voter fatigue in some cases will let guys get in that wouldn't get another look in, you know, there's different factors that go into that. But I would say like Shea should be in people's top fives this year. I'm not going to say where he should be. I think he should be like, I would say top three if he continues on this pace all year and the thunder perform well, um, you know, you could make an argument for MVP, but yeah, I, it's been, there's at least five or six moments, I think, every game where I'm watching and he does something and I'm like, I, I just shake my head. I'm like, I don't know how he did that. I don't know how that's possible. And I remember that's the feeling I got watching Kevin Durant. That's the feeling I got watching Russell Westbrook and being able to see that again. You know, it's it's special. We're fortunate as fans. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, being able to go from uh, the Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook era to, hey, I have a, a little bit of a downturn, but you still get to watch this amazing dynamo of a, of a creator on the offensive end. I mean, the balance that he has and the touch that he has is like it, it is reaching insano levels. Um, so he deserves to be in everybody's top three. So you've got a top three like NBA player so far this year. You have a top 15 guy if you're doing the all NBA caliber thing with Chet. Like, he's been unbelievable, especially as a stretch five. It's just very rare to see him. And you you see a guy like that average more than two blocks per game. Like, that is a unicorn. Yeah. Um, and then you also have a team that is leading the NBA right now in three-point percentage at 39.1%. They are, I think, leading the NBA the last time I checked at free throw percentage, which that certainly helps too. Uh, this team is an elite shooting team, and that, it's funny to think about them that way after so many years of, oh, yeah, the, the missing piece was shooting. like So w yep. what is the change been? Where does that come from? Honestly, I think it'll come back down to earth a little bit. Some of that's fueled by Dort had an incredibly hot start to the year. Um, I mean, I do think that's already starting to fall back down to earth a little. Uh, Isaiah Joe is great. Isaiah Joe's getting minutes. Yeah. Um, there's... There's several guys on the team that are just shooting really well from three. Chet taking more threes helps. Um, just it, it, there's been a shift from personnel who aren't great shooters to personnel who are better shooters. Getting more minutes, I think, is part of it. And then the guys that you want taking the threes are taking the threes. And then sure. you also have 
uh, like there's decreased offensive responsibility, which is why I think Dort had a good start, uh, you know, because he's not being forced into a bigger role than he should have. Uh, there's, you know, there's there's guys probably improving in the offseason. I mean, I, I bet you can chalk at least some of this up to improvement from working with Chip Angland and some of the shooting coaches. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I expect it to fall down a little bit. Uh, I just, I, I'm gun shy. I've just spent so many years like watching this team brick that I, I, I won't be convinced of it till I see it for a season, <laughs> but it is, I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah. And like, uh, that's part of the process is hey, you, you go through hot shooting starts, you go through hot shooting spells. And then the, the other coin is probably going to drop at some point, but we, we've, we've talked about OKC as a, as a team that has immense young talent and they've tried to build out their perimeter as much as possible and you've got a stretch five and you've got all these different elements and if Shea is going to keep creating awesome shots Josh Giddy, who I mean I, I don't really feel like talking about that situation at all personally but um like he's going to keep creating good shots for other people too and J-Dub continues to level up as well like there, there's just a lot of reasons to uh, be excited about the trajectory of this team and where they're continuing to go. Um, who are some other guys on the team that we haven't mentioned really so far that everybody needs to be knowing about if they're checking in with the Thunder? Kenrich Williams. Um, he's he's a huge X factor for them. Like he doesn't, his stat line doesn't pop or anything like that, but they're a better right. team when he's on the floor. Uh, last I checked, he and Chet were... Uh, among the better pairings on the team in terms of front lines. Uh, if you were playing Kendrick at the four and, and Chet at the five, um, he's just a guy who does a lot of little stuff. Uh, he's a hustle dude. The rebounding's better when he's out there. He just, he makes things happen. Uh, and that's a guy, I mean, I, I think every team should want a Kenrich Williams on their team. Uh, he's one Isaiah Joe. We already mentioned, uh, outside of the main guys. Um, Kaysen Wallace has been incredible uh, for like, he's not being asked to do a ton, but what he's doing, he's done really, really well. He's been part of the hot shooting start of Kaysen Wallace, just going absolutely out of his mind. I'm, I'm looking at the numbers right here. He's 59% from the field as a point guard and 52% from three. Like, yeah. What are, what are we even talking about here? That's, that's bonkers. He's also, he looks like he's probably the heir apparent to Dort in terms of like position and, and defense. Like he's been, he plays great defense. He was tasked with Curry some, I've seen him, I've seen him guard Curry a bit. I think I've seen him guard Clay. Uh, There's a few, he's, he's asked to guard tough covers and he's been doing well and he's been absolutely shooting the leather off the ball on the other end. So he's a guy that. I don't know how big his role is going to be. Uh, I don't know how much he can do. You know, with Kentucky guards, it's like a surprise package. You open the box and you never know what yeah. you're going to get. You just know it's going to be good. Um, That's awesome. So he's been he's been really great. Um, yeah, backup point guard. It's, there's been a little bit of a rotation of guys. It's not really. I don't know who exactly is settling in that spot long term. Mishik. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, said that his conditioning wasn't up to it when he started the year. Um, Zach Lowe says they signed him just to trade. But yeah, backup point guard, I'm not really sure who winds up doing that. I think they could use 
uh, to firm up that spot. But, I mean, they're playing some where J-Dub is doing backup point guard stuff and staggering rotations. Mm-hmm. It's just Giddy, some those backup point, like like where they do not, not hockey subs, but kind of rotate through. Um, but yeah, as far as like bench guys go, I think Wallace and, and Williams are the two that I would, uh, the Kenrich, not other Jalen. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, Jalen and J dub and just everything, uh, everything under the sun with the, with the OKC thunder and the Williams crew. Um, and yeah, just got, got a lot of Williamses over here. Um, okay. So, Last couple of questions here. I I didn't expect Chet to be this good this fast. I don't think, I, like we talked about, I don't think anybody really expected it to be this good. Um, has the way that the season has started for OKC kind of shifted your expectations at all? I, I remember us talking and having, like, I was maybe a little bit more on the the muted side of, hey, this team could be good. We'll see what happens. And you're, you're still pretty excited about where they could go from here. It might have, they might have even surpassed that at, at this point. So, yeah. I'm curious, like, has that shifted your expectations for this season in particular? It has. I think this team, presuming they play as they have been, it's a playoff lock. Uh, and I would be disappointed if they don't make it through the first round, at least. Like, mm. this team is good. Um, I also, like, I was, I said, like, 40-something. I think I might have said 45 wins. I think we'll get over that yeah. pretty comfortably. It's just one of those I things. Agree. Part of it was like I thought the West to be better than it is. There's some teams that have just kind of dropped off. Golden State's like some of their guys that I thought would perform just have, and there's been a few other teams that have just like not done what I thought they would do. Um, Clippers have not been as good as I thought, and there's there's a few like that um, where I thought the West was going to beat up on each other a lot more and drive those numbers down. Um, yeah, I, I think they get in the fifties. So yeah, we'll see how That's it goes, awesome. but no, I'm, I'm excited. Does that, does that maybe change your opinions? Cause I know OKC has been very patient when it comes to like the trade market and things like that. Does that change your opinion on how aggressive you'd want to be given, Hey, maybe the team is ready to win, like win in the playoffs and in this way, like does that change your impressions of how aggressive they might want to be? Um, I mean, I would be probably a little bit more aggressive at this point than Sam Presti, just given the rhetoric that he had about the team coming into the season. But I mean, I don't know. It might be something where like his mind's changed by the way that they're playing. I mean, I would definitely, if you were going to do something, uh, aside from any off the court stuff, Josh Giddy's been the weak link. Um, just if you look at lineup numbers and that sort of thing, like, he's got to pick up the pace or I don't think they even pick up his option. Maybe. Um, wow. You know, he's, I don't know the number, the raw numbers aren't bad, but he's been uh, like his units don't perform well. Uh, and that net rating would be higher with, uh, I think a lot of players in that spot right now. So if they wanted to shore up a spot, it would be that starting wing, um, you know, and maybe you start sniffing around some of the guys that might be available. I saw a report. Uh, I know the Spurs have some guys that they might be trying to move. Toronto's, you know, Toronto. Who knows what they'll do? Uh, probably nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's there's going to be a few guys on the market, and I do wonder if they might kind of kick the tires more than they would 
on somebody, you know, maybe you do kick the tires on like an OG Ananobi or somebody just to see what's there. You know, maybe you do uh, sniff around, um, you know, I don't know, Indiana and see, hey, can we pry a guy or two loose? And maybe we can send you some people that can help your defense. Maybe you sniff around Chicago and you say, hey, like that Patrick Williams thing that was rumored a while ago, you still interested in that? Because you're going nowhere right now. Um, sure. You know, maybe that's something that happens. I would bet there are discussions taking place, but I don't know if anything will happen. Well, we will see what happens. He is David Brandon covering the Thunder for Daily Thunder. Brandon, uh, David, thank you so much for taking the time with me, man. Let's chat in six weeks, all right? Sounds good. Thanks. All right, joined here by Danny Morang. He's the host of the Jack Ramsey's pod and our correspondent for the Portland Trailblazers. Really appreciate your time, Danny. Thanks for hopping on with me. Let's talk Portland. Let's talk a team that... They're 6-16 and right now. I think we talked about tempered expectations in our first initial discussion, and I think that's really borne out. The the pressure's kind of off, and I think it's probably a a better place to be than rather just trying to stress out the the end of the Dame era. Yeah, there's been a few injuries. Obviously, Scoot Henderson picked up a knock. Uh, Jeremy Jeremy Grant is currently in concussion protocol. He's going to be out for another game at least. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon had a sore knee. He was um, put out of action for what two weeks deandre ayton's had a little bit of a knee issue he's out he probably is going to come back tomorrow night um and then uh time lord robert williams the third tore his knee he's obviously out for the season that's also been another kind of thing to overcome and anthony simons uh tore the uh right ligament or the thumb the ligament in his right thumb um in the first half of game one of the season um so they've they've yeah, they've had a he, they just got him back three <laughs> games ago. Um, so the fact that they're six and sixteen is probably impressive considering they're not looking like the Pistons or the Wizards or uh, the Spurs in that vein. Uh, one of the things that I've heard from rival coaches and, and executives and players all, all alike is that this is a this team is a tough out. They are they are a young team that they're uh, they are taking on an identity that the Blazers have hoped would come along with Chauncey Billups since he got here two and a half years ago. And it's that they're tough, they're focused, and they they play with kind of a nastiness. Like you look at the, you see the troubles in the schedule and you go, eh, young team, we'll, we'll get, we're going to get in there and get out. It'll be no problem. You're going to get a win, but you're going to lose a pound of flesh here. Like that's, yeah. that's kind of the goal right now is like, they want to, they want you to come in here and go, Oh God, we gotta go all the way to hell out there, go to Nike for the day. And they get fight with this ornery <laughs> little team of 20 year olds. Great. Like, cause it's either the <sighs> beginning or the end of a trip. So it's all, it's how it always works. So you're just like, you're either getting in fresh and you're like, oh, I'm going to spend a day at Nike. Maybe it'll be pouring down rain. And like, Oh, this onslaught of 20 year olds, it's going to full court press us for 48 minutes. Awesome. So it, it's been, um, if nothing, entertaining to say the least that's good to hear that's and like when you change expectations obviously from a team that like had been a perennial playoff contender to Mm -hmm. a team where you you just never know how the fan base is going to respond (laughs) to that kind of change what what it's going to be like Uh, we've talked about the pressure kind of being off and how teams have handled it it seems like they've handled it better than some other teams they're not one of the teams that's at the bottom of the pecking order in terms of oh man we 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 love to see Washington on the schedule. Like I mean, Joel mm-hmm. has played Washington and, and Detroit every single night of his career. And a, Thirty and it's, ten it's, and a half. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> uh, now those those teams are are struggling, and San Antonio probably in that category as well. But yeah. with Portland, like 
even just having some veterans, some guys mm-hmm. that could really stabilize things and help direct the young guys probably helps. Uh, how has maybe Malcolm Brogdon, DeAndre Ayton, guys like yep. that, Jeremy Grant even, how have they helped in that regard? These have been massive stabilizing, stabilizing forces. The entire offense was supposed to be predicated on uh, Simons and, and DA pick and rolls, DeAndre Ayton pick and rolls. Uh, Simons goes down in the first half. Or come, he, he played in the second half, uh, in the third quarter. Uh, he came out at halftime, and uh, it was one of those situations where he uh, he tried to kind of play through it because just you know he thinks, oh, it's a little bit sore. You know, got kind of a higher extended. Tra- turned out, he tore the the ulnar collateral ligament uh, in his thumb, and nice. Uh, yeah, no, missed every shot he took after that. So it was like, wow, it's crazy. Because I think it was seven of eight. And he had one of those, you know, Denver knows exactly what Anthony Simons can yeah, do. Yeah, we know exactly. Especially early in the season where you're like, you're not prepared to get out there onto the perimeter. And he's like, oh, crap, you've got 30 points on eight shots somehow. Yeah. Yeah, and that's he was having one of those. He's his first quarter was a little bit rough. His second quarter, I think he went seven and for seven or seven for eight, and he had like nineteen and a half. And you're like, ah, nineteen point quarter, first game of the season. Here we go. He's gonna start, you know, start right here because this is the, this is dope. It was it's his it's his, as much as it's Scoot Henderson's team, you know, as far as like you know the number three overall draft pick, it's Anthony Simons' team. He's the best player on the team. He's the guy who was going to kind of lead them into the season. And with him falling off with the injury, it was like, uh, okay, now what? Because Scoot was very clearly and is not clear, clearly not ready to handle that. So the veterans like Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, the man was six man of the year for a reason. He could start for just about anything in the league. That's just he's an incredibly professional, good point guard. He doesn't um he doesn't have this otherworldly quickness or shiftiness or it's veteran savvy. He just I'm going to go here and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's, it's truly incredible. Watch. He's never going left. If he goes left, it's so he can come back. Right. (laughs) It's he's never going left ever. And yet it's, it's, it's like the anti Isaiah Thomas where Isaiah Thomas would always go left. It's, it's the same thing with Brock. Like, I may hezzy hezzy tween tween, but I'm going right. I'm going to put my big meaty shoulder in your chest. And then I'm going to turn the corner. And then I'm just going to kind of trot to the rim and somehow get a layup. And you're just like, how the hell did he do that? But he was just, he did that to the tune of basically like 19, six and six, just night after night after night. Um, it wasn't leading to a lot of wins because, you know, they were still playing Scoot, you know, 35 minutes a night and not quite ready for that, that minutes load. Um, Jeremy Grant started out really rough first two or three games of the season because he went from like kind of a quasi supporting role to please carry the offense. And then Jeremy basically went for two weeks as like one of the three best players in the league, uh, which was kind nice. of crazy. He's, you know, he's got, he's, he's got, uh, he had a, he, for the, I want to say it was the first eight games of the season. He improved his points per game, every game. It went, Cause he had a really bad opening night. It was like 12 points on poor shooting. And then it was 17. Then it was 18. Then it was 21. Then it was 22. Then 25. Then 27. Then 29. Then 34. And you're like, it's getting better and more efficient, more efficient. They just kind of kept going and going and going. I think he had like a 39 point night. Um, nice. And you look at the efficiency, all of a sudden he just started, he was shooting like, you know, 46% from three. And you're like, and he was rebounding, which, you know, he doesn't do. So, so it was like, it's oh. very rare. Yeah. It's very, and so I was like, oh man, Jeremy's had like 34, seven and five. Oh, okay. Like, where did that come from? Uh, DeAndre Ayton, uh, unfortunately suffered the, the biggest set, uh, setback without shooting particularly Anthony Simons is gravity outside teams just pack the paint and DA is a guy who doesn't typically get all the way to the rim he, he settles quote unquote for that you know mid paint pull up 
but I don't know if I necessarily call it settling when you're the second best shooter to Jokic at that shot in the entire league. Like if you look at all, all of the metrics, it's Jokic who hits it at an obscene rate and then a slightly less obscene rate. Hey, DeAndre Hayden right there. Like it's like, so it's one of those things where you're like, I wish he got all the way to the rim, but he does shoot 60% there. So it's kind of okay. Um, Sure. But there was just almost nowhere for him to work. The, the, the space was non-existent. The, the paint was packed. Uh, the timing was off because of the additions of, of DA and Brogdon uh, to the team. It was really late into the, into the, or the training camp process and, and into, into the, you know, I should say pre-training camp. It was basically in training camp that the deal happens. I think it was the day before camp opened is when they got there. Um, so the, the timing, the rhythm, everything else fell apart. But the veterans were just a huge, huge, huge addition to, I don't know, a level of professionalism that was just, you don't, you don't typically see in these kind of teams. And yet they still suck enough to make sure that their lottery pick is very much protected. It's, it's a perfect balance, to be honest. It, it really is. I mean, that's if you're, a, if you're the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers, you're thinking, okay. This is exactly how it should go. It, it yeah. you know, kind of a roundabout way, and you, you'd never want an injury to kind of facilitate that. And actually, there are a couple of injuries that I think have kind of facilitated the way that this needs to go for Portland, which is, hey, got to bring Scoo Henderson off the bench. Got to got to slow play it a little bit. Got to mm-hmm. make sure that he's ready to go at his own pace and not have the, the burden of the entire franchise on him. Like, yeah. We talked about him starting pretty slow. Uh, can you give us an update on on where he's been since he's gotten back from the injury? Yeah, the big thing for him was just everything slowing down and figure out what he was going to be able to do that was productive on the floor night in, night out. And I know that sounds weird, but I have been banging this drum since the minute he was drafted. Mm. 19-year-old rookie point guards suck. Full stop. It's, it's I can, universal. I can, Denver should know. Emmanuel Moutier was one of them. He was a <sighs> dumpster fire. <laughs> He was terrible. There yeah. are three 19-year-old rookie point guards in NBA history who were remotely good. Kyrie Irving, LaMelo Ball, Stephon Marbury. And think about those three guys real quick. Kyrie Irving has, I don't even think it's arguable, the best handles in NBA history. He's also a 50-40-90 shooter. Yeah. He had two things that, Day one, he was better than damn near everyone at. And it still didn't mean a thing. That Cavs team sucked. They were not good. Stephon Marbury could get wherever he wanted on the floor. Lightning quickness. Uber, uber athleticism. LaMelo Ball's a six foot eight passing savant who could shoot out to 35 feet. What is the thing that Scoot does day one? That you're like, yep, that's it. And it's get into the paint and spray passes. Well, if you don't have a ton of shooting and teams are packing the paint on you and you don't have an understanding of how NBA pick and rolls work because you're 19 and you played in the G League where it's like, sometimes pick and roll. (laughs) Yeah. It's just going to take a while because you need to learn angles. You need to learn pacing. You need to learn how to change gears. You need to learn how to finish over NBA shot blockers. Huge white European bigs have been the bane of his existence. It has been, whether it's been Nurkic, whether it's been uh, Pirtle, 
Um, I mean, you you name a uh, Zubach, you name a huge white dude in the league, they have gobbled him up at the rim because he's just not used to seeing seven foot one, two hundred and eighty five pound monsters go. Matt, this is mine. Sure. So he's he's learning all these little things. Um, the shooting is still. You know, he had his best game of his young career, 19-6-4 last game. Um, and the big difference is, is the shot going in. But even more than that, it was he kind of knew what he wanted to do on a given possession. I After the game, this is like real math, but I said, this is kind of like the 85-15 principle of like 85% of the time, he knew what he wanted to do. Which for a rookie, hey, two thumbs up. We, sure. We, we go with that. <laughs> We go with no, that. Okay. That's a very fair breakdown. And like, it, it's never going to be a hundred, especially at this stage. Oh, he hasn't God, seen no. every defense. He hasn't seen like even half of what defenses can really start to do when they really start to lock in. And like, this Damian is Lillard a told me it took him until year four. Till year. Four. This is a guy who ran a, a pick and roll offense in college for four years. Right. Who ran 8,000 pick and rolls before he even got to the league. And then it took him another. 12,000 more pick and rolls before he got there. It's going to take so it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a minute. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I, I know that's what Portland signed up for. That's what they, mm-hmm. that's what they're hoping for. And it's good that they, they had the pressure taken off, especially for that reason. Um, two guys I want to ask you about shade and sharp and Tumani Kamara. Uh, Ooh, buddy. Shade and sharp, like fun, fun second year player who is now mm-hmm. starting to really figure some things out. Yep, and and then my my question that I have listed here, I know who he is, but for the audience, who the heck is Tumani Kamara, and why did Blazers fans care so much? Yeah, so Shaden is is taking another step forward, and the big thing for him has been well, Anthony Simons has come back the last three games, he's averaging twenty five six and five on fifty forty. I think I want to say it's fifty forty seventy five splits. Free throw lines a little bit if he's about an eighty percent free throw shooter, um, which is weird because he can shoot the living hell out of the ball from three. Sure. Um, but he is a guy who is a bit of a throwback. He's more of a traditional two guard where he mm. comes off ball. He plays off pin downs. He's, he's not JJ Redick. Don't get it twisted. He's not running all over the floor. Like, but they're running like little pet actions for him to attack a defense. That's, that's not set. And I don't know if you, if you saw it the other night, occasionally he gets a chance to attack by himself, run a quick little pick and roll, get a switch and then send Daniel Tice to the nether realm with yeah. a step back that sent him just spiraling out of control. Um, he's, he's got a nice little hezzy, hezzy tween, tween, hang dribble kind of thing. Like si- don't get it twisted. Simon's bag is galaxies beyond Shaden. Shaden still needs to tighten that up, but it's, it's better than it was last year. He really couldn't get anywhere with it. Um, but they're, they're, they're watching him, man. And it's, I don't, don't be surprised when you look up at the end of the season, he's averaging like 21, six and four and you're going, Oh, that's a 20 year old. That's a 20 year old doing this yeah. and on, on good splits. Like, and it's yeah. going to be go, Oh, they got a nice little backcourt over there. Tamani Camaro is a terrorist, <laughs> an absolute terrorist. <laughs> and I love him. I love him. Like I, I, if I had a daughter, I'd want him. To, I wanted to marry him. He's a wonderful man, and it is a privilege to watch him play basketball. He is a 23 year old rookie who um, he makes life living hell. I said I, I talked to some opposing players. I without naming them, uh, I've talked to uh, four different uh, starting point guards in the NBA who all had some version of f that guy. 
he is a nightmare to play against. <laughs> it is not Chauncey Billups who's like, hey, I want you to go out there and pressure him. It is built into his brain. He's like, I'm going to go ahead and pick up full length. And I'm going to wear you like a trench coat for 40 minutes. Have fun. I love and that. He, and he's doing it. He's, he's every bit of 6'7". And Ryan, there's guys who move well for their size. And then there's guys that just move. Like Michael Porter Jr. is a guy who moves well for his size. Like you're like, sure. oh, that dude moves well for 6'10". Tumani moves well for anyone. He gets He stays in a stance down low and doesn't slow down. Just wild. It, it, you just you just don't like. There's like I've I've compared him to Raja Bell. I don't know if you watched Raja at all in his prime. A little bit. He just like he was like a snake. He just <laughs> he would stay low and just stay with you no matter what. And Tumani has real defensive. Like I, I hate how everybody says, "Well, defenses it's a, it's a lot of uh, it's it's mostly just you know uh, how much you care." No, it's not. It's defensive talent. Because there's plenty of guys in the league who care. You, if, if you went and told somebody, hey, you can go make $10 million a year if you just care a lot, there would be a lot more great defenders in the league. That's just not the case. Tumani is, he is a talented defender. And his, he's always tuned, turned up to 11, and he's instigated, I want to say, probably about a half dozen technicals already. Love that. That's, like guys I mean, guys want to fight him every single night, and it's amazing. I love him for it. He's exactly the guy, especially that you want next to a couple of scorers, whether yeah. they're, they're Simons and Shaden and guys like that. He, he can take the pressure he, off. He he's can a bash cross brother. match. Like he's yeah. a perfect guy. Plays him three, plays him four. Mix, mix and match into what you're doing. Now, there are some things that he's going to have to improve on, especially on the offensive end. Yes. But like, he, like, like people have to remember he's a rookie. Like this is, this is the time to kind Look, of improve on that. So he hits 36% from three. I'm not, I don't need plus. Give me league average, 36% from three. Stay on the floor, buddy. You're not coming cool. off. Love that. And it, I think that there, that is, isn't that is in his future. I think I I'm willing to bet that he number one makes all rookie because I think people who vote are going to look back and go, well, he was like sixth in scoring. How the hell did he get there? He was like fourth in rebounding. And he's the clearly the best defender in this not named Chet or Victor. So yeah, he's going to make this team. And, I, I genuinely think in his career he's going to make an all defense team. Like he's that good of a defender. I it's, love that. It's terrifying. Like I, I can't remember the last time I saw a rookie who was like just that savvy about stuff. And it's just like you're supposed to be dumb. How are you? How are you? This I don't get it. They're, they're getting smarter getting into the league, man. They there's, are, there's a lot man. Of, not not everybody, but like there's a lot of young guys. Sars another really, one. Yeah, Sars got like that, that natural defensive talent to just be there at the right place, and you're just like. You're a yeah. child. You're not supposed to have any comprehension of this. <laughs> Tumani Kamara, NBA terrorist. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll remember that one for a while. That's good. I love it. I love That's it. good. Uh, last one I have here for you. Mm. What's the next kind of macro goal for this team? If you had to pick one thing that you were hoping the team would work on over the course of, let's say, these next six weeks or so, what would you hope that they accomplish? Simons and DA. They need to see what they have with that. They need to figure that out. That's, okay. that's the thing. Um, uh, I don't think you're going to see a ton of changes to this team. I don't. I don't think you're going to see Jeremy Grant traded at the deadline. Interesting. I th- I think you're. If if it happens, it'll. I mean, anything can change. But I think he's going to be a. He. I think he's genuinely happy here. I mean, I don't know if you interacted with him in, in Denver. Like Jeremy's a a great dude. Like I, one of my no. favorite guys to talk to. Um, he's happy here. He's got a kid. You know, he's 
I mean, other than the fact that he just picked up his fourth concussion, he's great. Um, yeah. Yeah, poor guy just got the poor guy. Bell, yeah, that's I mean, I'm, I'm a football guy, so I I, I understand what that means. Like, yeah, that's, that's a lot. He he got his brain scrambled. Um, mm. but uh, Simon's DA just have had. I th- I, I want to say that they've uh, Aunt Simon's DA have played four minutes together this season. Not enough. Yeah, and it's like ah, cool. Can we see what that looks like when they're, I'm oh, sorry, Ant Sharp, Simon, or, or excuse me, Simon Sharp, DA, and uh, uh, Grant have played four minutes together. So it's one of those things. It's like, can we see what it looks like with the four best offensive players on the floor? Yeah. Please. That'd be and cool. Kind of see where Scoot kind of fills into that. Like that's, that's where the balance kind of comes into. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be in there immediately, but like you talked about, this is Simon's team. This is like the primary pick and roll partner with them and DA. And, a couple of awesome wings in Shade and Sharp and Jeremy Grant. Like that's how mm-hmm. you got to build it. And I, I think they've got a good pulse on that. That I haven't seen anything otherwise from this team. Like it just it feels like a, a well-run group that knows that they have to be patient and understand that the long game is where it's at. Yeah, and then you know the the traded line that I imagine they'll they'll move on from Brogdon. That'll free up some additional minutes for Scoot to kind of either play with Ant or play with Shaden. Uh, makes things easier to kind of figure the other stuff out, um, and then you know steer into the skid perhaps one more time uh, to uh, for the end of the season. Like right now, they're on pace for twenty four wins. Yeah, I was just gonna say uh, when we uh, when we recorded the first time, I said they were gonna win twenty four games. So sounds about right. <laughs> hey. I, I somebody seems to know what they're talking about. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I, I really, I stumble into it. Honestly, I just fall into it. He is Danny Barang of the Jack Ramsey's podcast and hosting for the Portland Trailblazers here. Danny, thank you so much for hopping on, man. Let's talk again in six weeks. All right. Absolutely, brother. Take care.